This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing Indescribable.
And now John Harris with Jesse Nagel on the flute will come and sing Crimson River. We now have Nancy McClellan playing on the piano, He is Lord.
Here now is Larry Grable singing, Ever Interceding. His grace extends beyond my knees. 
Now we have Chiz Ryder coming to play in the trumpet, his almighty hand collage.
I want to thank our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is, Charge It to My Account, Philemon, verses 16 through verse number 19. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self besides. God, through the Apostle Paul, wrote 13 epistles, Romans to Philemon. I do not believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It was written by God through another writer. It's just interesting to think about the number 13, the Bible, is a number of rebellion. Nimrod was the 13th from Adam. His name means to rebel. Why is that important? Because of the rebellion of Israel. God set them aside and brought in the church, the body of Christ. Of the 13 epistles that God wrote through the Apostle Paul, the epistle to Philemon is the shortest. It contains only one chapter, 25 verses, and 430 words in the King James Bible. Yet it is a powerful epistle, an epistle that we need to understand its doctrinal significance. Because it's more than just an epistle on human forgiveness or brotherly love. It's one of the four epistles written by God through the Apostle Paul, and it was written while he was enduring his first Roman imprisonment. The four epistles written during this imprisonment time are Philemon, Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians. There were six epistles that were written by God through the Apostle Paul during the Acts period. That's Acts 13 to 28. They are 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. Before we share a brief synopsis of the events leading up to Paul's first Roman imprisonment, just think on this. Iconium and Derbe and Lystra and Pamphylia and Ephesus and Miletus and Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea and Troas and Galatia and Pergia are either cities or regions which are all located in the country of what is modern-day Turkey. Do you realize that modern-day Turkey was the epicenter? It was the focal point of where the church, the body of Christ, began. The present population of Turkey, as of April 2020, was approximately a little bit more than 84 million people. Just think about this. If you said that 1% of their population are saved believers, you're talking of 842,000 people. If you said a half of a percent, you're a little bit over 400,000 people. How not that sad? The area where the Apostle Paul preached, where many were led to the Lord and local churches were established in Ephesus and Colossae and Hierapolis is now in spiritual darkness. And here's a brief synopsis of the events leading up to Paul's first Roman imprisonment. He met with the Ephesian elders at the city of Miletus in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to verse 38. The Apostle Paul tells the elders that there's going to be a future spiritual battle. In the battle, first of all, there's two points. One is coming from the outside, and then one was from the inside, the church leaders. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to verse 30. Then you have the prophecy of Agabus. And remember, Paul 
says to them, the Holy Spirit witnessed that there's going to be bonds and afflictions and none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Then you had Paul's arrival at Jerusalem, Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Paul was spotted at the temple. They had assumed that he had taken Trophim as a Gentile into the temple. They dragged him out of the temple and then they closed the doors of the temple and they began beating on Paul and they would have killed him. But the Roman centurion hears the commotion, ultimately intercedes and saves Paul. Aren't these unbelieving Jews a bunch of hypocrites? Didn't one of the Ten Commandments state, Thou shalt not kill? The Roman centurion, if you keep reading, didn't even know who this Paul, Paul was. He didn't know the identity of the Apostle Paul. That he's going to grant him permission to talk to the very Jews who only moments before were going to beat him to death. He addresses them in the Hebrew tongue. You see this in Acts chapter 22. And they listen to him until he speaks the word Gentile. Acts chapter 22 verse 22. Then we read about more than 40 Jewish assassins developed a plot and a scheme with the religious leaders of the Jews. Again, one of their Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. And they schemed and plotted together to assassinate and kill the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 23, verse 11 to 15. The Apostle Paul's nephew. We didn't know that the Apostle Paul had a nephew, had a sister. Here again is a providential care of God. Here's the plot. Later telling Paul, and then the Roman centurion, and Paul's led away by Roman soldiers to Caesarea, Acts chapter 23, verses 23 to 35. Then there are two silent years at Caesarea. And because Paul had appealed to Caesar, he was sent to Rome. You have the shipwreck on the island of Malta, the arrival at Rome. And then Paul spends two years in his own hired house. He's bound to a Roman soldier. It's during this time that God, through the Apostle Paul, wrote those four epistles. National Geographic put out a publication of the 50 most influential figures of the Bible, and the Apostle Paul was one of them. And this is one of the quotes that they had, and I'm reading directly and quoting directly from this article that they had concerning Paul. Sometime after 54... A.D. or C.E., the common era, Paul made his way back to Jerusalem where he was arrested on false charges. Because he was a Roman citizen, Paul was sent to Rome for a trial. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, says Acts. Listen to this. But the details of what happened after that are uncertain. And they quote Acts chapter 28, verse 30. We absolutely know what happened to the Apostle Paul. He was released. He traveled more, including the going to the island of Crete. That's Titus. God, through Paul, wrote two more epistles during this time, 1 Timothy and Titus. Later, he was rearrested, endured his second Roman imprisonment, 2 Timothy 2.9. Now he is being treated as a, a malefactor, as an evildoer. And it's the same word, malefactor, that appears dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ, the two thieves who were crucified in the left and right-hand side of Christ at his crucifixion were malefactors. That's the same word. And then ultimately, the Apostle Paul was martyred, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And because he was a Roman citizen, he could not be crucified. He was beheaded. 
And here are some Bible verses which demonstrate that he was a, a prisoner, and this is dealing with and involving Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Philemon, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Even though the Apostle Paul was bound to a Roman soldier every day, in every hour for two years, he never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. It was always a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see this also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. Ephesians six nineteen and 20. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which the gospel I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 down through verse number 4. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Withal praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. After encouraging the Colossians to be praying, the Apostle Paul himself asked for a specific prayer request. What was it? Did he ask for their prayers to be delivered from his Roman imprisonment? One commentary interpreted the door of utterance this way. A door of utterance. So the apostle himself asked for prayer. He prays that his ministry may be widened, that the prison door might open and he might step forth and begin his travels again founding new churches and establishing those in the faith who had already come to meet together as churches. He prays that God would open the door of utterance, and he says, won't you join me in this prayer? I am so deeply, deeply saddened by those words and that interpretation of Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. The apostle Paul is not praying for an open door to jail. He rather is praying for an open door of opportunity to preach the gospel. Imagine he is enduring his first Roman imprisonment. He does not pray to be delivered. He does not pray for better accommodations. He does not pray for better food. He prays for more opportunities to preach the gospel. And remember, according to Ephesians six nineteen twenty, 20, it was for the preaching of the gospel that he was in prison in the first place. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 7. Even as is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have happened unto the fallen out unto rather the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. The gospel was going because the apostle Paul was imprisoned in his own hired house, was bound by a Roman soldier, 
What he is saying, what God is telling us here in verse 12 and verse number 13 as the gospel is going out into new areas that it hadn't gone before. I'd also encourage you to read Philippians chapter 1 verses 14 to verse 18 also Philippians chapter 4 verse 22. I truly believe that only eternity will show how many Roman soldiers and other individuals were saved because of the Apostle Paul's first Roman imprisonment. The distance from Rome, Italy to Colossae, which is located in modern-day Turkey, is about a thousand miles. How did those churches in Philemon receive these God-inspired epistles? The three epistles, Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians, were carried by and delivered by Onesimus and Tychius. The epistle to the Philippians was carried by Epaphroditus. Tychius' name first appears in Scripture during the latter portion of Paul's third missionary journey. Tychius was a blood brother. These are words that the Bible uses to describe him. He was a blood brother. He was a faithful minister, a fellow servant. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he was sent to Ephesus to replace Timothy. God entrusted the Word of God with these two trusted believers to deliver these God-inspired epistles to the two churches and to Philemon himself. You might ask, did they receive them? Absolutely. How do you know those epistles were safely delivered? Because you have them in your hands right now. As you're turning in your Bible and reading from Ephesus, the Ephesian epistles, epistle to to the city of Colossae, to the Colossians, to the individual Philemon. You have them in your hands. That's how we know they were safely delivered. God didn't entrust it to any other way, any other group, for them to be delivered. He entrusted it to what? Believers. To who? To believers. Onesimus. And we're going to talk more about Onesimus and an individual called Tychius. Praise God. God has preserved his word through copies and we have the the inerrant, infallible, preserved word of God today in the 21st century. And God has watched over those words. And even though you think of all the dangers that might have been because their travel would have been a lot different than we experience travel today. But they had to go, look on a map, they had to go from Italy, which we recognize the boot of Italy, Rome, all the way dealing with the Adriatic Sea, going around Greece, the Aegean Sea, and coming into Turkey. I just want to share this following quote with you, which I saw in another one volume commentary on the whole Bible. And I'm quoting, This epistle Philemon demonstrates that our letter writing can be a ministry for God if we allow it to be so. Some who find it difficult to speak for God may well write for him. I need to emphasize something, and I'm going to re-emphasize this. The epistle to Philemon is not about letter writing. It is the very word of God. No doubt the Apostle Paul wrote other letters or epistles, but they were not scripture. However, only 13 were considered to be scripture that which is written down, God God breathed. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's God breathed. Matthew chapter 4, it's the words that proceed out of his mouth. 
His 13 epistles are the inerrant, infallible, preserved word of God. Yes, you as a believer can write a letter to encourage someone. You can write a letter to them stating and sharing your testimony if you're not sure they're saved. Absolutely. And I would encourage you to send cards or notes of encouragement to those who are shut in. The quote we shared with you was was written concerning Philemon. I just think it's an outlandish and bizarre statement because, and again, these people who wrote this actually believe in the inspiration of Scripture. That, that, should, that has no place there. It's not about letter writing. It's, it's, it's about God, God through Paul wrote this epistle to Philemon and God through Paul entrusted the two people who were going to carry it to Philemon. The Apostle Paul couldn't speak to him because he was, he was in Rome. And of course, we know what a great orator, what a great preacher, a speaker the Apostle Paul was. Go back and read Acts chapter 17, his address at Mars Hills. If you go back there and and study that out, it's a wonderful message that he preached, Jesus and the resurrection. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you can Google this. Mars Hill is there today. And you go over, it's in Athens, Greece. And it's a hill that was 377 approximately feet above Athens with the city of Athens in the background. And there is a plaque. Remember, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us that the Greeks seek after wisdom. And at the base of the Mars Hills is a plaque. It's not a quotation of Plato or some other Greek philosopher. It has in the Greek language Paul's address to the Athenians, to on the Areopagite, and to those judges there. Here is a brief outline of Philemon. You have the introduction, verses 1 to 3. You have the Apostles Paul's commendation of the character of Philemon, verses 4 to 7. You have the Apostle Paul's plea and petition for Onesimus, verses 8 through verse number 19. You have the Apostle Paul's confidence in Philemon, verses 20 to 21. Then you have the conclusion. The three important individuals in this epistle, Philemon himself, the Apostle Paul, and Onesimus. Philemon was saved through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Even though he did not personally, even though Paul did not personally visit the city of Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Philemon, verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self beside. The church of Colossae met in the house of Philemon. That's found in verse number 2 of Philemon. Aphia is his wife. Archippus is his son. Philemon's character in verses 4 to 7. Again, I'd encourage you to read this epistle. Just 25 verses, as we said. One chapter, 430 words in the King James Bible. Read it. You see upon Philemon's character. Love and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. Love toward the saints. The bowels of the saints are refreshed. Then you have the Apostle Paul. He was enduring his first Roman imprisonment. Again, Philemon verse 1. He was willing to pay all the debt of Onesimus. The Apostle Paul did not appeal to Philemon based on apostolic authority or even on legal foundation, but rather through love, through grace. Onesimus. His name means profitable, helpful. 
before his salvation. Onesimus did not live up to his name. Philemon verse 11, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Onesimus was a native of Colossae. At Colossae, at least, was his rightful place of residence, Colossians chapter 4, verse number 9. He did some wrong to Philemon, and then he made his way to Rome. The path and the life of Onesimus crossed with that of the Apostle Paul while he was enduring his first Roman imprisonment. While Paul was in prison. You want to talk about the providential care of God and God's grace? He led Onesimus, the runaway servant, to the saving power of the gospel of the grace of God. Philemon, verse number 10 says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten in my bonds. And to understand, to appreciate what is going on, one must understand the Roman concept of slavery. Slavery was so widespread in the Roman Empire that according to some estimates, the slave population constituted one-third or even a higher fraction of the total population. Onesimus being from Colossae, there was a common proverb. A Phrygian is better and the more serviceable for a beating. By stealing and running away from Philemon, Onesimus had broken Roman law and defrauded his master. A thief and a runaway slave had no claim to forgiveness. The power rested with the masters. Slaves could be beaten for minor offenses and even crucified for running away. Roman law was more cruel than the Athenian law practically imposed no limit to the power of the master over the slave. The alternatives of life or death rested solely with Philemon the master. Slaves were constantly crucified for far lighter offenses than that what Onesimus did. For a moment, just imagine this picture. The Apostle Paul bound to a Roman soldier, talking to Onesimus. Again, we don't know the total circumstances of how their lives crossed, We just know Paul was in Rome, and from the reference of Philemon, that Onesimus was saved during this time. And we know in the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, that the Roman officials allowed all who wanted to talk to Paul to go to him. So, you know, here's this amazing picture. Paul is under house arrest. He's bound to a Roman soldier. Was the word of God bound? No. God, through the Apostle Paul, writes four epistles that we've mentioned already. And he's led people to the Lord besides the Roman soldiers. Here is a runaway servant, slave, Onesimus. So imagine this picture. The Apostle Paul bound to a Roman soldier, talking to Onesimus. During the meeting, he encourages him to go back to Philemon to make things right. Onesimus might have said, What, Paul, are you kidding me? If I go back to him, as you know, Paul, Rome's view of slaves is that they are just a piece of property. The power is with the master. Literally, he can do anything to me. Rome wouldn't care. I not only wronged him, but I'm a runaway slave. Yes, Onesimus, I know all that. But I want you still to go back. And again, some would say that Philemon is an anti-slavery epistle. That's not the issue. 
People talk upon brotherly love or forgiveness. I understand that, but the word forgiven or forgiveness doesn't even appear in this epistle. We're, we're going to show you again, this is a powerful epistle, and I encourage you to read it. He not only wronged him, but he's a runaway slave. Yes, Anastasius, I know that, but I want you to go back. Philemon will receive you, not as a slave, but a brother beloved. Onesimus, now you are saved. You're a child of God. Philemon is your fellow brother in the Lord. God had given me all the words for this epistle, and I want you and Tychius to take it along with the epistle to Ephesus and Colossae. The willingness of Onesimus to go back to make things right with Philemon was an eloquent testimony to the transformation that had taken place in the life of Onesimus. Philemon, verse 18, verse 19, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self besides. The word impute, I like to read Romans 5.13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. The word imputed, Romans 5.13, is the same word found in Philemon verse 18, put that on my account. And that's the only two occurrences of that specific word in the Greek New Testament. Paul's words to Philemon was impute, put on my account, charge to my account all the wrongs of Onesimus and receive him as you would receive me. Lord willing, next week, I want to study the doctrine of imputation, the three biblical imputations. I encourage you to read this epistle to see the power of God's word and the meaning of imputation because to me, that is the main theme in this epistle. The Apostle Paul interceding for Onesimus to Philemon. And how is Philemon going to receive him? Again, just think upon that. Think upon the the power of the gospel. And here are some spiritual application from this great epistle. And again, it's an epistle more than talking about brotherly love. Though we understand it more than forgiveness. So I understand that. Truly, it is one of imputation, and we'll, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll connect that and show you. But here's some spiritual applications from this epistle. Prayer. We see it at the beginning of the epistle. Love and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. We're not only to have love and faith toward the Lord, but toward all the saints. Paul encouraged Philemon to do what was right based on God's grace. Then you think about the power of the gospel to change lives. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The transforming power of the gospel of the word of God. 
First, it changes a person's destiny. Those who are going to an eternal hell trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and now they have an eternal hope, an eternal home in heaven. I think of that hymn, Unbounded Grace, the second stanza. Listen to these words. Grace was for me the only way my guilt could find relief. My destiny was changed that day. I reached out in belief. My destiny was changed that way, that day. If you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your destiny, your future destiny was changed. Because now you are are a child of God, your destiny was changed from an eternal hopeless situation, going to an eternal hell, eternally separated from God, and it was changed to an eternal hope that we have through Christ. We think of 2 Corinthians 5, 6, down through verse 8. While we're at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. And when we're absent from the Lord, we're present. When we're absent from the body, rather, we are present with the Lord. We walk, we know, verse 7, by faith and not by sight. Or you could think of Amazing Grace, John Newton's wonderful hymn, stanza 1, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Change destiny. Change the destiny of John Newton. Change the destiny for, for myself. It changes lives and empowers individuals, now believers, to live for God. You, you, you think upon, again, Onesimus, and you think upon this epistle where you read in verse number 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now is profitable to thee and to me. What's the change? When he says in verse 11, which in times past was unprofitable, but now profitable. What was the change? The, the, the time reference. It was to his salvation. Before his salvation, he was unprofitable. He was unprofitable to Philemon. Onesimus wasn't living up to his name, but now he is. Verse 12 goes on to say, Whom I have sent again, that thou therefore receive him, that is my own bowels. And and Paul really would have kept him. Verse 13, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me as in the bonds of the gospel. Paul could have used them there. Paul could have used encouragement. Paul could have worked with him and further had instructed him in biblical doctrine and of grace. But Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to send them back. Verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever. Listen to verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and the Lord. What's the word of God saying there? Paul is telling. God through the apostle Paul is telling Philemon, there's a change in him now. Yes, whatever he's wronged you, I will repay it, charge it to my account, receive him as you would receive me. 
But when you receive him now, you're not just receiving him as a servant, you're receiving him more than a servant, you're receiving him as a brother beloved, because he is now in the church, the body of Christ. And he's a part of the church, the body of Christ. And he's a member of the church, the body of Christ. And we have fellowship and identification in the Lord, but we have a relationship with each other. So it, it changes lives. It empowers them to live for God, the, the changed life of John Newton. If you know the testimony of John Newton, you know he was that wretch. He called himself that old African blasphemer. Later in life, then, he's going to become a pastor. It, it changed my life. I was heading for an eternal separation from God for hell. I trusted Christ as my Savior. My destiny was changed that day when I reached out in belief. Not only was my destiny changed, but God changed everything. Later on then, felt compelled in, in the calling to, of God to go into the pastoral ministry, which my wife and I now have served over 40 years. I, I wouldn't even be here, but by the grace of God. And I know it has changed your life as well. The power of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also the Greek. And the preaching of the cross to them who perish. They think it's foolishness. They laugh at it. But to us who are saved it is the power of God. That can take us out of inanimate and place us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you think of the providential care of God. Here you have this runaway slave making his way from Colossae, Turkey, all the, the western part of Turkey, all the way over around, around Greece, Aegean Sea, Adriatic Sea, over to Rome, Italy. And then his paths cross with the Apostle Paul. And even though Paul is in his own hired house and he is bound to a Roman soldier, he shares the gospel. That's why I say only eternity is going to show and tell us how many Roman soldiers were saved during this time. Because when you read the book of Philippians chapter 1, those verses that I shared with you after verse 11, 12, down 13, 14, and verses following, Paul, Paul just wanted Christ to be preached. And I think there were some soldiers who came back to the barracks, back to the palace, and said, I just got off of eight hours or how many hours with the Apostle Paul, and all he could do is speak of Christ. Well, that person may not have accepted Christ, but then he tells another soldier about this, and the other soldier then makes his way to, to talk to Paul. It had an impact. Maybe that person then was saved. Only eternity is going to show us this, but, but the providential care of God absolutely and then the the preservation of god's word onesimus who was considered faithful was just recently saved and and god through paul entrusts him with tychius to the with those three epistles and they get him back that they don't send him through some mail courier they, they didn't have planes back then there was no doubt a dangerous journey and they get back and we, we have those epistles today. There are, no, there are no lost scripture. If anyone tries to tell you and say that there, is a lost, there are lost epistles and lost books of the Bible, they're wrong. God has given 66 books of the Bible. They're God-breathed. 
And God has watched over, preserved His Word, even though there's been attacks on the Word of God, trying to destroy the Word of God. Go back in church history. And we have the Word of God today in the 21st century because God has copied it and recopied it and God has watched over and preserved His Word. The providential care of God. Think of Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, dealing with Joseph and his brothers. But as for you... You thought evil against me, speaking of his brothers, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And of course, this was after the death of Jacob, and his brothers thought they were in trouble because we know that Joseph was very high in the Egyptian government, and these people were thinking, his brothers were thinking that we're in trouble now, and what God was saying through Joseph is, but as for you, you thought it evil, but God meant it good. So there was a providential care of God, and we see, again, the providential care of God dealing with Onesimus and and Philemon and the Apostle Paul and that whole story, but yet, like I said, the issue is, and we're going to see this, Lord willing, coming week that this deals with the great message the doctrine of imputation is something we just need to understand and also we're reminded that the church is the people and not a building because when you read verse number 2 of Philemon and to our beloved Phia and Archippus our fellow soldier and to the church the ecclesia the called out ones in thy house Because again, remember, the church building, as we identify the church today, did not come into existence in the 3rd, 4th century A.D. Before that, where did they meet? They they met in homes. The church of Colossae met in the house of Philemon and Aphia. They studied the word of God. They they praised God and they were in a home. So we also see this from this amazing book, epistle, with only one chapter. And there's more and other spiritual application. Again, it's the emphasis of understanding God's word. So for the believer, the word of God, as the psalmist says, it is a lamp, it's a light to our feet, to our path, and we need to use it that way. We need to study it. We need to rightly divide it. We need to allow the word of God as 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about it's the word of God that effectually works in us that belief. That's what we want, the word of God working in our lives. That's for the believer. But if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never trusted Him, if, if you do not cannot answer the question of where your death will lead you, and you think that it's by good works or by going to church or giving some money or praying once in a while to God, that that's salvation, that you've tried to be a good person. That's not salvation. That was not the message that the Apostle Paul delivered to Onesimus. It was the saving gospel of Christ. And the saving gospel of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, is the death, is the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to trust and believe, and when we do, God saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not from the origin, the source of works, lest any man should boast, any man should joy or rejoice in. The only way of salvation, 
It's by belief and trust. Justification is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Won't you trust Him right now, right where you're at? As you're listening to this message over the radio, trust Him. Believe in Him. He is the one who came to die on the cross for your salvation. It's not a question of who you are, what you've done. It's a, it is not the sin question, it's the son question. Won't you believe and trust Him right now, right where you're at, before it's eternally too late, and God will save you and secure you throughout all eternity. You've been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church wishing you God's best for now and for eternity.